You're listening to Tabletop Arcanum, a podcast dedicated to learning and exploring the hobby of tabletop gaming. Your hosts are Justin Taylor and Richard Geese, so sit back and relax as we talk, discuss, and joke our way through the hobby we love so much. and dark as a sunless planetoid, the Blackstone Fortress is a creation far beyond the technological kin of any race in the galaxy. Who built this colossal craft and what is the purpose are the questions that many wish to answer. And even in its current state of Tapor, the Blackstone Fortress is possessed of immense power. Yet this mysterious structure is not unique. Six others like it were found by the Imperium many centuries ago, and the destruction they wrought helped to tear the galaxy in half. So welcome to a, another review episode from Tabletop Arcanum. I'm Justin. And I'm Ricky. And we'll be talking today about the new Games Workshop Warhammer Quest Blackstone Fortress game. But before we get too far into that, we'll do our traditional role recap, uh, where we talk about the games we've been playing since we last hosted. Uh, Ricky, I'll let you take the lead on this one. Oh, excellent. Um, so... This week, I did play a few rounds of Boss Monster with my niece, trying to get her more into better gaming. She just kind of likes to jump into random IP-based games, so it does get a little a little rough. IP-based games like what? Uh, she did, uh, me and her did play a few rounds of Rick and Morty. The Ricks must be crazy, because she is a fan of the show. Not a bad game. Actually, it was, it was it was fun. I had to go easy on her because, again, she's my niece. And I don't want to expose her to the cold, cold truth that the world is mean. But I still won. I played a few rounds of Arkham Horror. We, again, go back to us playing Blackstone Fortress. We played that this week. And no Harry Potter this time. Still no Harry Potter. Still that's, no Harry that's Potter. Two episodes without Harry Potter. Yeah. Have you been painting Legion? I have been painting a little bit here and there. Okay, so so at least some basic touchstone is still there for for people to like. Whew, at least he's at least he's Star Warsing. <laughs> yeah, I, I get way too uh, particular about mold lines, and I do a lot of uh, sanding and green stuffing to make sure everything looks really really nice, but. I'm getting there. Sounds good. Other than the Blackstone, uh, Blackstone Fortress games that we played, uh, the only other real game I've touched in the last week and a half here has been uh, Keyforge. How um, you feel? How are you liking it so far? Well, I've gone to four tournaments and like three different release parties, so. I kind of like it, I think. I've been getting a lot of uh, repetitions in on it. I've got a handful of decks now, so I've seen a little bit of sampling of everything. I've also um, played a bunch of different decks, so I've seen a lot of different options that are out there too. Not just the things I own, but things that other people have opened and packed. And it's it's been a lot of fun. One of the things I enjoy and don't enjoy is because there's no deck building you crack your deck it's your unique 36 cards and that's all you get to play with no adding changing or removing cards i like it from the sense of i don't have to theory craft any deck building Mm. i can just stick to 
this is what I got to play with and I got to make the most of what I've got. Downside to that is sometimes deck building is very fun and, you know, a nice relaxing, like theory crafting, figuring out what works, what doesn't work, find those synergies. You can still do that with Keyforge, uh, at least from the synergy and seeing how your deck can combo out and like sample hands and seeing like I actually found a way um, there's a, a specific rule in the game called the rule of six. Because the decks are so randomized and randomly generated, there are ways that you can actually technically get infinite loop triggers. Uh, and I found one of those in one of my decks. But the rule of six means you can only trigger it six times. Hmm. And then you have to stop. So they cap the infinite loop. But because of that loop, because of that and something else I did in that turn, I ended up with something like 13 amber generated in that round on top of like the four or five I already had. So it was a stupid amount of amber. And it was interesting, but at the same time, like I looked at the my opponent and was like, the, I'm really kind of sorry. I kind of felt a little dirty about it, but that's how the cards play. And that's what can happen. I've seen decks shut down other decks just because my hand and my deck was better and stronger than yours at the time of mm. it happened. So I really enjoy it. Um, one of the reasons why I think it, um, things like that are going to be okay is in a game of Keyforge, typically you're playing multiple rounds. Tournament settings, there's going to be a couple different formats, so sometimes you won't, but sometimes you will. If you don't, then it's just a luck of your matchups, but if you do, you're usually playing best two out of three. So you'll, if one deck is really trouncing the other, you'll figure that out pretty quickly, but you might have a chance to recover. So Keyforge has been my, uh, yeah, I've been playing a lot of Keyforge. I want to play other games too now, but yeah, lately I just really want to get a lot of, a uh, lot of play on that one. And we've also seen uh, the, uh, <clears throat> we've also seen the unsecond marketable card game has hit the second market. Right. And it's already kind of being broken, but. For a game that is 100% unique, yes, people are going out there and selling decks for a ridiculous amount of money, um, depending on what super rare, unique card or combination are in there. If that's what you want to do and that's what you want to spend your money on, okay. I'm not buying a, a $200 or $2,000 tech anytime soon. Sorry. I'll take my random chance and make the most of it because I've seen the game in action. These highly sought-after decks, while powerful, just the right combination of cards can shut them down just as fast as anything else. So mm. it's all kind of up for grabs still. Uh, as far as new releases go... We did they, get an announcement for my... Uh, I know. There my was... uh, my go-to. Um, Fantasy Flight announced that we are going to be seeing... Uh, Jin Urso and as a um, commander. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Fantasy Flight did announce that we're going to be seeing Jin Urso as a commander for um, Rebels, as well as a uh, Rebel Pathfinder squad. And I will say that out of all the Rebel squads to come out, this one does excite me the most because not necessarily I don't know what it's going to do in game, but. I do like the variety of actually having different aliens in there. If I want to have a cookie cutter army, 
I would be looking more at the Empire. I kind of like the fact that they're finally starting to see um, there are people out there modding um, the other miniatures and putting aliens' heads on there to kind of give it a new a new look, and they're they're putting something out for that. Good. Um, and then for your RPG fans, there is um, your local like, gaming store should have or can get the Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition gift set, uh, which is your player's handbook, your dungeon master guide, and your monster manual plus these uh, uh, dungeon master screen as kind of a boxed set. And the retailers have an exclusive cover for those, which has this nice um, matte finish, foil lined sort of uh, archaic tome look, which is very fancy, very neat, um, and not any more expensive than the books would be separately. And then they come with a slip cover to keep them nice and nice and protected. Uh, and that is a something that Dungeons & Dragons has been doing is these retailer-exclusive alternate covers where you're not going to get this off Amazon, you're not going to get this from any online dealer, you're going to have to go to a local gaming store because they're the only ones to getting these alternate covers. And they're a limited print, so and they look a little bit nicer. Um, that being said, uh, they are releasing the gift set and the standard covers as well for those online retailers, same price. It's just so, not as pretty. Not as pretty, in my opinion. So on to our main topic of the Warhammer Quest 40K Blackstone Fortress. Uh, this is a game coming up on November 23rd, released by Games Workshop. Um, it's in their Warhammer 40K universe. Uh, MSRP is $150. And it comes with a lot of stuff. Uh, so I'm going to go over the contents that you're going to get with this $150 price tag. And then we're going to go in a little bit more deeper. We'll, what it's like, what we've played, what we like, what we don't like about it. So first things first, it is a Games Workshop thing. So it's absolutely a miniatures-based game. And you get 44 Citadel miniatures. Some of them are your explorers in the characters that you're going to be playing. And then most of them are going to be the hostile bad guys that you're going to be facing in this game. Uh, there's five rule books. Don't let that scare you because what they really did is they took a, instead of having one major big fat rule book, they took each section of the game and made its own little mini rule book for it, which we'll talk about uh, how, what we like about it. But essentially you get a 16 page basic rule book, a 16 page combat rule book, a 24-page precipice rulebook, which is your home base that you get to go back to in the game. And there's a whole sub-turn based off of that. 24-page uh, of lore and background about the Blackstone Fortress, the characters that are evolved and things that are going on. Um, just pure Warhammer background lore story. Uh, and then you also get the 16-page data sheets um, for all of the miniatures that are coming with this game. So you can take any one of them and put them into Warhammer 40,000 armies and be able to use them with these data sheets. Uh, on top of that, so that's the, the minis and the rule books. You also have 40 double-sided tiles, which are your game boards, uh, two, over 230 cards, uh, nine stasis bags, which are like really nice plastic bags because uh, it's a campaign-based game and you're not going to be able to finish in one sitting, so they have these bags already in there for you so you can store your character, what things you've acquired, what items you have, 
um, and be able to kind of save your progress. Um, they have a lot of uh, markers, a bunch of dice in there that you'll be able to burn through and use, and then um, the data bank and hidden vault sealed packages. The, the hidden vault itself is kind of the secret of the game, and we'll be talking about that as part of the objectives. Um, diving a little bit deeper into the minis themselves, for those who are very interested what exactly you're getting, as far as hostiles, there's Obsidious Malad, uh, who is a Chaos Lord for the Chaos Space Marines. Uh, you get two basic space uh, Chaos Space Marines, four Chaos Beastmen, four Urghuls, four Negavolt Cultists, two Rogue Psychers, four Spindle Drones, which I swear these things look like more 40k version of the uh, Portal Turrets. Um, and then 14 Traders Guardsmen, which apparently from everything I've seen is what the, the real hotness is, is getting these guard, uh, Trader Guardsmen models because they really don't exist outside of this box. All these models are unique to this set. So even if you want to kit bash and do other things with your miniatures, you may even be looking at this as if you're a 40k fan and not necessarily uh, a board gamer. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then there's the explorers themselves. So these are the characters that you get uh, to play as. There's Janice Drac, a rogue trader. Tadius uh, the Purifier, a mini storm priest. Uh, Esprin Lurkro, a imperial navigator. Pol uh, Polonius Vorn, a missionary zealot. UR-025, an imperial robot. Dalak Geth, a Kroot Tracker, Amelin Shadowglide, an Ansuri Ranger, and then Rain and Russ, who are Rattling Twins. And I've probably butchered every single one of those names. Except maybe Rain and Russ. I think I've got them down. It's 40k. Oh, you hey. are you are dash uh, 25 is is probably pretty easy to say. I, uh, I it's got... your uh, your dash. O25? Yeah, like L33T or, you know, Leet. There you go. Yeah, no. No, the one thing I will say is these miniatures are not, come unpainted, as all GW miniatures will. They do come in two colors, so the Explorers are in a red plastic, where everything else is in the standard gray plastic. Um, so if you're not inclined on painting... Don't be afraid, because your character, your your heroes will look distinctly different from your the hostiles. The hostiles will all be boring gray, but um, you can pretty much clip them, push them together, and and throw call it a day and be ready to play pretty quickly. You will do. You will need a uh, pair of uh, snips because they are on uh, plastic sprues that you have to clip them out and then smash them together. They are push fit, so you do not need the super glue if you don't want it. Uh, we did verify that if you did want to glue them, um, they are snug fit. You're not going to have any gaps. Um, I believe that GW had an issue, and I don't remember which game it was, where the glue kind of offset. Mm -hmm. That the was pieces. their um, Age of Sigmar uh, 2.0 release, the Soul Wars box, mm. which were all push fit models. But the peg and holes that kind of keep them together, there wasn't any air gaps so if you put a dab of glue in there it had nowhere to go so compression means oh it dried and then it 
separated a little bit and all the miniatures if you tried to glue them without modifying the pegs um pulled apart just enough so you had like this weird awkward gap in the models mm. so yeah we did verify um that these should not do that to you if you are concerned about that you know you can take a little bit of those steps cut the peg down a little bit to create that extra space for that glue in there mm. it's not going to hurt anything so lots of stuff in this box so 150 dollars price tag is steep um however you do get a lot for it the one thing that we'll say is you also get a lot of hours of gameplay out of this because the idea behind the blackstone fortress is you are these group of explorers trying to get into the blackstone fortress but you have to get clues and data keys to do so so you play mission after mission after mission trying to get these clues so that you can go to one of the four citadels in the in the blackstone fortress which are special maps that you get to play so you get four clues you go to one of the special maps do that four times and then you can attempt the vault which is like the the end level of the game and when you get to the vault that's where you kind of open the vault and then there's that um sealed package of what's inside the vault that you get to open up at that point and get the secret out so it is a legacy game in that aspect that there is a sealed package that you will not know the contents of until you get to it in the game or if you open it and cheat early however that's kind of the only legacy style element in there everything else is very campaign based so it's very randomized what missions, what challenges, what maps you're going to be going through to try to get to there. So there's a lot of replayability in that sense, and I, I consider this more of a campaign-based game for that sake. I also say, <clears throat> with a $150 uh, suggested retail price, um, that's close to a starter set in 40k or Sigmar. Um, so you, you get a little less um model wise but when you get less than model wise you do make up with um this campaign i know tons of people who have bought these starter sets and it never is just that starter set you buy the starter set and the next thing you know you're just like me and legion you're buying box after box after box of expansions to add to this army it's a self-contained they haven't announced any kind of um expansions yet but we anticipate that they will yeah. probably expand if it's extra characters, extra boards, extra maps, something, um, extra missions. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of ways that they could add on to this game very easily. Yeah. Um, on top of all of that, you, you bring up a really good point that, yes, it is a complete game. You cannot play Games Workshop games alone. But wait, you can in this one. Yeah, exactly. So, like, normally Warhammer, Age of Sigmar, you have to have an opponent to place your army versus their army and, and whatever. But this is actually one to five players. Um, the big trick is the hostiles are always AI unless you have a fifth player. That's where it gets really fun because the fifth player gets to control all the bad guys. And makes it probably even harder for you because now you have a human element thinking tactically opposed to um how the ai works and we'll we'll talk a little bit about that and of how the ai works and because i i, I kind of like that system 
but you always have four of the explorers. So if you're playing solo, you're controlling all four of them at once. If you're two players, you each have two. Uh, if you're three players, there's one player that is considered a leader per expedition, and then they're the one with the extra character, and then that leader can change between expeditions, so then whoever gets the fourth character kind of rotates around a little bit. Um, and then, of course, if you play four players, everybody gets one. Mm -hmm. So, um, very nice. Setup and takedown is a little bit tricky, because you have to kind of set up all the decks, put all the boards aside, and then kind of run through your exploration round, and then maybe a combat will pop up, and then you have to pause, set up the board, set up the miniatures, and then play through that combat. When a combat breaks out, it was probably the lengthiest part of the game. And our first one was a little bit longer because we were learning the rules. And that was about an hour and... Probably an hour and a half. Hour and a half. We did another combat shortly thereafter, and it was about 45 minutes. Yeah. So once you actually have a grasp of what you're doing, it speeds up quite a bit. And again, remember, you have to get four of these clues in these combat situations where you're trying to find these discoveries. Uh, out of pure luck, we got two clues in the two combats we did. So we were already half our way, half half the way to the first citadel, um, with mm -hmm. just two missions. But that's kind of the fun of the game. I like is so the idea is you're on this precipice, and you and you go in, you explore the black Blackstone Fortress, and it's a push your luck almost dungeon crawl game, because every time you go back to the base. You have to play a legacy card, and there's only so many of them, and they all do something crazy because, like, that's where the it can add new enemy types to your enemy deck. Um, you might uh, get a virus that's that's screwing things up. The security drones might be on higher alert, uh, or maybe something not not uh, nothing bad happens, but it's just kind of a time placing card. Like time is advanced. Beware. And you can really only go back to that Citadel a fixed number of times. And by doing that, that's what's setting your timer. So if you don't beat the game within enough returns, you lose. So that's where that push your luck falls in of like, okay, we finished this combat. How are we looking? Nobody's seriously injured right now. Let's keep going. Combat 2. Okay, we're, st we're still doing pretty alright. Let's do it again. Oh my god, the Ratlings died. Everything is lost. We're bleeding out. Maybe we should go back. And that's where I really... I, I like the campaign mm -hmm. elements of that. Of You kind of have to push your luck as far as you can because you know you can only go back so many times. When you go back, you turn in all the uh, space junk that you find throughout the game. And you can cash it in for supplies and upgrades and, and extra tricks for your characters. So I really I really dig the fact that there's almost like this leveling system for your characters built into the game. Um, each one of them is all really unique. No two characters are very similar. Um, we played with most... We saw most of them and, and read the rest. Um, I was really having a lot of fun with the, the Eldar who was, like, sniping uh, Superstar. Like, oh, long corridor, bunch of enemies at the end? 
no problem. I'm just going to sit back and shoot them all. Uh, you end up playing uh, Janice, the rogue trader, who was a monster in melee. Yeah, he was. He was a lot of fun with uh, his flurry of attacks. You just get close to something and just unleash knock him down. It. Yeah. Um, we also saw the Imperial Navigator in play. He kind of was able to manipulate dice and use like psychic power or psyker powers. Um, one of the cool things that he was able to do is like throw up like this force bubble sort of thing, and anyone in that in that hex had like super defense because he threw up a force field for us. Um, and then the 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 Ministrum priest was the other one, the pure. Uh, uh, Pius Vorn, the missionary zealot, was mm-hmm. our or was our fourth character that we were playing with, and he comes with a flamer, and that flamer pretty much ate anything that he unleashed mm-hmm. his uh, purifying flames on, which I thought was very, very fun. Um, I did like that. Um... Like you said, you were sniping. I was up close. Um, the uh, Pius Vorn was, uh, you can't be too close. You can't be too far away. If you really want to start doing damage, you just kind of have to be in that mid-range. And then the uh, the Navigator was kind of our support character. Mm. Floating a little bit in that mid-range too, but was able to help uh, defense. Because I will say... Um, Anything that got close to me, I was worried, mm. mainly because I had, like, no defense. Um, one of the things I kind of dug is in these game, in this game, um, it's not all six-sided dice. Like you would expect out of 40k. <laughs> um, your primary, like, action dice are six-sided and runs almost like a... Uh, Dead of Winter style system where you chuck, you have four 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 activation dice per round. You roll them, and depending on what your rolls are, is what sort of powers you need. Your free of uh, your fury of blows powers for Janus required you to use a four or higher result. It was uh, or four. six if yeah. you wanted the like super awesome version of it. So if your die rolls were one, two, or three, you couldn't fury of blows with those particular dice. Yeah, we should preface it by saying when you started out, you rolled four dice. Um, those dice were your dice pool. You pulled off of that. You could do certain things with certain dice. Some some actions, basic actions like was, moving, yes. mm-hmm. basic attack, yeah, searching. A lot of those didn't really need much. Um, some of them would need higher and higher, like to to. Um, search a clue, you had to have a four, or search for a clue, you had to have four or higher, um, like the, uh, flurry of attacks. It was, if you did a four plus, it was a, um... Two attack. Two attack, but if you did a six plus, you get three attacks. Right. And unfortunately, every time I had the chance to do that, I always knocked whatever I was fighting out with that first dice roll. But at the same time, to be able to do that much damage... All at once. Is going to be very, very beautiful and very, very important when it comes to later in the game when more and more powerful things start mm-hmm. showing up. Because um, that's, you know, I, I kind of hinted it with the going back to the premises uh, uh, and you you 
have that legacy deck where it can add extra creatures. You only start with like four or five types of, of creatures in the monster deck to start with. Like Trader Guardsmen are pretty basic. Uh, the Spindle Drones were there. The uh, Negavolt Cultists, which were these like Tesla coil wearing crazy guys. Uh, and the Urgles. That was all we had to potentially deal with. Mm. Uh, there were no chaos. There was no chaos beastmen. There was no space marines. There was no um, rogue psychers. Those are all things that get added into your enemy deck at some point when you go back to the base. And I'm pretty sure most of those things are things that we probably need that Fury of Blows or. Uh, my sniper round sort of uh, shot mm-hmm. where I could take the best die, roll it, and then re- potentially re-roll it too. So talking about these dice is you, you kind of have like these um, RPG stat lines for your agility, for your defense, and mm-hmm. for your vitality. And you could either have a uh, six-sided die, which has successes on two of the six sides. Um, you could have a D8. And have four successes and four blanks. Or you could have the D12, which is the best die, and have eight success sides and four blank sides. Mm-hmm. So you always had a blank, but your probability of hitting exponentially grew every time you, you went up a die. So yeah. either 33%, 50, uh, 33%, 50%, or 66% of the time, depending on which die you you had, you had a chance of doing something. Which I thought was a really nice way of balancing that out. Mm. And using the different dice for, for different mechanics. The enemy AI is interesting. Because it ran off of kind of a behavior chart. So you roll a destiny die, which is a d20. Mm. And you check the chart and you look at the enemy and go, okay, are they engaged with someone? Are they out of sight? You know, a couple different statuses they could be in. And then they had a whole bunch of different actions that they would run off of based on what that is. So maybe they sneak up and that means they move, but they don't move into line of sight of someone else. Maybe they charge and do do like a double move at you. Maybe they go full out berserk mode and double attack if they can. Or maybe they just move and attack. Like, so using the AI was this really nice, simple system. Um, it didn't really slow down the game. It was like, okay, someone rolled uh, the leader rolled the d20. Someone else was using the chart, and the third one of us that was playing moved the models. Mm. So we kind of like, as a team, ran through the AI motions um, instead of having just like one player do it. Now, of course, if you have five players, you have a player actually moving the models and actually thinking about what he's trying to do mm. um and i think that's going to be very fun i would love to be that guy because you can just keep sending wave after wave of people right oh yeah uh and yeah while well, the, the the enemies may start with four six and you might kill them some of them all of them at the start of each enemy activation they have a chance to get reinforcements so you roll the d20 on on a one, two, or three, more spawn, and that can be rough. Uh, so the initiative, there's also an initiative track that changes every round. So the order of operations can shift around in a, in a turn, which was really neat. 
a little bit tough to plan for, but everybody had, or most of the characters had some sort of way to manipulate that initiative track. So you could either swap positions with someone else, or you could take a gamble, risk one of your dice, and maybe bump up a space in the track. That way, if you're in a bad position, you really need to try to get something. You had the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Unlike D&D, um, if I roll one initiative, well, I guess I'm going last. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing I can do about that. It also makes you feel good, because it does change every turn. So if you are the person who constantly rolls ones and is going to go last all the time, um, when the round starts again, you have another chance to be bumped up and hopefully see some action before everyone goes through everything. Or the famous double turn. Go at the end and then next round go at the start. Mm -hmm. So you can really, really take some names pretty fast. So it has a lot of potential in that. Um, the maps are a deck of cards that are randomized, I... but the maps themselves aren't randomized. So you draw it and then it's either like, here's the map layout, you build the map and then you draw off the enemy deck to see what enemies are spawned in the different spawn points. I so the... really did like the way that they set up this mapping with the different cards. Mm-hmm. Cause it was, I mean, that was a nice fat stack of cards. Yes. All of them. Uh, unique, all of them with different uh, layouts. Yep. And the way that they set up the map with the punch-out hexagon cards mm-hmm. really was impressive. I really, really, really enjoyed that portion about it. Mm-hmm. So, in essence, to to have an expedition, kind of the, the overall arc of the game, because we talked about a little bit of everything so far, but to kind of give structure to it, you flip over one of these exploration cards and it's either going to be a test or a challenge event based scenario or it's going to be a combat scenario. And a combat scenario is going to have the map like you just said. You set up all these hexagon pieces. You draw some enemy cards based on the number of um, discovery tokens that are out there which is your clues or your space junk that you have to try to collect. And you're on this maglift vader uh, elevator sort of platform so it's like ding second floor this is oh cultists and urgles yay maybe we should smash the elevator door close button and try the next level um but then you go through your combat or or your challenge and then you have that choice of do we go back or do we push forward and then if you push forward you flip the next exploration card and you do what it has to say and then you just kind of rinse and repeat until you're ready to go back to the base. And then you have a whole kind of a, an upkeep phase at the base of, okay, everybody who's grievously wounded gets better because you can't heal grievous wounds while in, out, out exploring. You can only heal normal wounds. The neat thing about that is then you have your legacy turn. You have your um, buying stuff phase. You can trade resources and items with people. And then you go, okay, let's do, let's do it again. And then flip a, another uh, exploration card and push your luck and keep going. So it has a lot of replay value in the randomness of how things are set up. But I never felt the game was so random it didn't make sense. Mm. I guess if, if that makes sense. 
because um, it was a lot of mystery of like why are we here why are we looking at this and there's 24 pages of lore going into what this place is who we are as explorers so the background's there for you and it's if you want to read it or not that's up to you i definitely suggest because that is going to give you a deeper experience but hefty amount of uh lore and since we are talking about the lore we can also go into what we liked about how they set up those books as well whereas in the good old codex days of uh games workshop where you bought a book and it came with everything all in one um this comes with a book of lore and then it came with a setup book a book for combat right um they split everything up so when you're in the different scenarios instead of having to pull out this book and try to find you know dig through it and try to find uh what you should be doing you have a single book for whatever phase that you're in right so the exploration book there's a little you know it's not much to it it has a lot of the basic rules and concepts in there you refer to it kind of the first couple, the first game or two that you play, and then you kind of leave it alone. Um, oh, combat breaks out. All right, we have our 16-page combat rule book. That's pretty much all we're going to need to reference, as we might have some questions on how things spawn, how cover works, things of that nature. Uh, maybe how the AI works a little bit, because they will say, oh, that's ambush. Was Okay, what does ambush mean? And then, oh, we're going back to base. All right, bust out the precipice book, and... It walks you through all of your setup of how to do that phase of the game. Um, so you're not, like you said, you're not searching for that section of a rule book. You just have that rule book section separated from the rest of all the sections. So I, I really liked that. Um, because learning a game is rough enough. I don't need to flip through a 40-page rule book to try to find the one rule I need. Um I mean, if we really put it all together, we're looking at an 80-page rule book if it was all put together. Right. Trying to... And then it's always that one rule that you know that you saw somewhere, and maybe it was all the way up near the setup, or maybe it was all the way in the precipice uh, area. No, if you want a combat rule, it's in the combat book. You don't have to look anywhere else. Um, so, I'm really excited for this game mm-hmm. um i don't think we played it enough like we did with arkham horror to really get a a deep feeling for it but um based on the couple of games we've played already definitely something worth to check into mm-hmm. um and definitely something i'm going to keep my eye on for this holiday season because this game looks fun and i know a lot of people who may not be into 4dk but a tactical minis like dudes on a map sort of game mm. that gives you almost a D dungeon crawl feel but it is very structured and not like i'm busting out measuring tapes i know some people who can get into that mm-hmm. um more than they could on uh, a standard warhammer game this is the warhammer game for me because it only has 44 models to paint and then i'm done in and, theory and well until they release an expansion but it's not like a, I have to paint an entire 2,000-point army. Exactly. Exactly. Like some fools who got into other miniature games that involve you just 
repeatedly going out stormtroopers going out and buying more and more and more right i just picked up more legion just to find out more is coming more is coming on friday so yeah um so in short i would definitely recommend this game for someone who likes their tactical minis games and, and or tactical battle games um if you're interested in the warhammer universe and and you really don't want to dive deep into the true 40k um experience i guess i'll say the saga all the novels and all the this has a little bit of everything in it because mm-hmm. um, you got a little bit of lore you get a little bit of the the board game feel uh you get the painting the miniature side of things you kind of it's like a sampler pack Mm-hmm. of everything that games workshop is but it's a sampler pack unlike the starter sets that give you enough to start two armies this is a starter set they'll actually set you on course to enjoy the miniatures to enjoy the lore to enjoy everything that the game has to offer um i would not recommend this to someone who doesn't like random chance because there's a lot of dice rolling and a lot of there are some ways to mitigate it or or force re-rolls, but some of it is just pure luck roll. And if, if your dice are not hot, they're not hot. The other thing is it is a little bit grimmer, darker, so if you're not into that H.R. Um, uh, Geiger sort of feel, that 40k grim, dark, gothic universe. Space dystopian, uh, dystopian space opera. Right. If that's not really a theme that you're comfortable with none of this is going to be comfortable for you then um because it has that very 40k gothic space horror aspect to it the urgles are pretty awesome models but they're your creepy like ghoul monsters i'm thinking if i'm trying to think of anyone else i would say hey maybe not for you but if you're looking for a true like miniatures war game in a box, you're not going to get it here either. You're going to want to stick to your, your traditional 40k starter set too. Because um, everything's on a map. It's more of that D&D feel of, okay, I get to move two spaces. Cool. One, two. Um, not two inches, not six inches. Okay, uh, I'll ro- I'll move six inches and then roll die and I get to move that many more inches. None of that. Uh, line of sight is also very easy. It's hex to hex. Center of hex to center of hex. Yeah. So you can't try to say, well, I can see him hanging on the edge there from where I am. No, it's it's set that if you can see it from the center of the hex that you're on to the center of the hex they're on, mm-hmm. that's the only way you can... And if it's a clean line, it's a clean line. Mm-hmm. If there's they have some um, some hazard lines or cover lines of like... If you look at the tiles, you'll see like, oh, there's like this crystal or something there. There's or a wall there's a, or... a mechanical device or or, mm-hmm. or console of some sort. And they'll put like a white line across that part of the hex or maybe circle the whole hex in white lines. And if your line of sight draws over one of those, what you're shooting at or stabbing at is considered undercover, which gives it a defensive bonus. So it's it's pretty cut and dry as far as that goes, which is one of the benefits to it. But if that sounds like it's a too cut and dry for you, maybe it's maybe that's where you say, okay, I need to stick to my regular forty k. So 
Definitely. I would say it's a, and we would recommend it from a board gamer's mm-hmm. perspective. Gives you a sample of the 40k universe without having to buy a 2,000 point army. Exactly. I think it's a bridge between the two. If you are into wargaming and you want to try something more D&D-esque, you might, might want to go this way. Or if you are um, going from something D&D-esque and you want to move to some tabletop wargaming, it's a good middle ground. I know I'm definitely going to be um, trying to pick up a copy of this because it's a game that I feel like you, you have... can play with people who aren't very into D&D or into tabletop gaming. You don't have to make them paint stuff. Um, right out of the box, you set stuff up and you're ready to go. Absolutely. So, take that as you will. Uh, I think we'll be playing this at least at some point in the future for ourselves because we definitely really enjoyed that demo and kind of kept itching for more. Like, I, I kind of asked... It was already really late that night, and I was like... I, I kind of want to play more. All of us were sitting there going, we don't want to ask, should we play another game? We oh. all have work in the morning. <laughs> right. But then we played another game. And then after that, it was the same standoff. But then most of us were like, we really shouldn't do another one. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's still a work night. So any game that makes me want to just keep playing or sit down and play it again is, is a win in my book. Mm-hmm. So we'll leave it at that, and if you have any questions, definitely reach out to us at the tabletop arcanum at gmail.com. Or <clears throat> any of our many social media presences, Facebook, Twitter, we Instagram. have a Twitter. We have a Twitter. It's yes. there. Um, Instagram, we probably suggest Instagram or Twitter because then it's, chances are... Instagram or Facebook. Oh, yeah, there we go. Instagram or Facebook. You'll probably be able to get us there more than Twitter. Because I think we're both logged into it, but we haven't looked at it. Yeah. We'll so, get better. Yeah. As, as, as we grow, as uh, we get more followers who actually do reach out to Twitter, we'll probably be more active there. But mm-hmm. in the meantime, it exists, yes. Um, and then also keep in mind that uh, we'll definitely have more content coming Next episode, we'll be talking about storage solutions for your collection and your games. Not only how, what do you do with all these boxes, um, but also storage solutions within the games. Um, as some games have contents that will have tons of pieces, and how to organize those in such a way where it doesn't take you an hour to set up a game to play for 45 minutes just to pack it away for the next 30 minutes after that as always a rolling die gathers no moss this is ricky and this is justin game on you've been listening to tabletop arcanum hosted by justin taylor and richard geese and featuring the original music by paul moore and isaac gilbert you can follow us on most social media platforms Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. As always, thanks for listening.